Luke 2, beginning at verse 1, this is God's holy and infallible word. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea and to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. That's God's word to us this morning. Instead of focusing right in on Jesus' birth in the message this morning, I want to back up a little bit, and I, and I want us to think about how long it took for Jesus to come. One pastor talks about the road to Bethlehem being a long road, and we think waiting nine months for a baby is a long wait. But the waiting for Jesus goes back to the Garden of Eden. It took millennia. Some people carefully count uh, the generations listed in the Bible from Adam and Eve to Jesus' birth, and they come up with 4,000 years. I'm not so sure how easy it is to do that exactly. We're not certain if some generations were skipped in those Old Testament genealogies, and if some were skipped, it could be longer than 4,000 years from Eden to Christ. It could be much longer, but let's just use that number as a bare minimum. And that's more time than we can wrap our heads around. 40 centuries, at least. Why did it take so long for Jesus to come? Right after the fall, God made the promise in Genesis 3.15, which, which we read in light of later prophecies, that out of the seed of the woman, the seed would come. The Son of God in the flesh, the Messiah, is what God's Old Testament people called him. You look at Genesis 4.1, and you wonder if when her firstborn, Cain, was born, she might have thought he was the one. Because God gave her the promise, and she says there, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. But it turns out he wasn't the promised seed. It was far from it. Cain was the first murderer. And then later, out of the line of Seth, a guy by the name of Lamech, he had a son named Noah. And he said in Genesis 5.29, He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground that the Lord has cursed. And so you can see in those words that the promise of the Messiah 
was alive and well in the line of mankind. But Noah wasn't the promised one either. Things were so bad in his time that that God sent the flood. Sure, Noah and his family were spared, but there was nothing else about those days that would indicate the Messiah would come anytime soon. And then later, God calls Abraham, and again, there's this promise of the Messiah, but it continues to be just words. It doesn't happen yet. But the road to the manger at Bethlehem is moving forward. God brings his people out of Egypt. He takes them on the road to Canaan through the wilderness. Joshua would lead them into the promised land. Judges would come and go. Kings would rise and fall. Prophets would come and speak the words of the promise. Like in Habakkuk 3, 3 and 4, God came and his glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. But it was still just words. Jesus Christ, the rising sun, as Zechariah calls him in Luke 1, didn't come yet. Prophets kept speaking the promise before, in exile, after exile, but it was still just words. The history of of the people of God in the Old Testament, which is our history too, we're children of Abraham and Jesus. It was the road of the word and the promise of the Lord, but not of Christ's coming. The fulfilling of the promise didn't happen yet. Instead, it got more and more difficult. It got more and more bleak as time went on for the people of God. And then, once Malachi spoke, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, then it was silent in God's Old Testament church. And that intertestamental period God did not speak a new word. That communication between God and his people, heaven and earth, it ended. It was like in the days of Eli and the boy Samuel. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. For four centuries, there was no more written word of God. Oh, things were going on. Different people conquered the people of Israel until the Romans came to rule in the land and Caesar Augustus, through King Herod, ruled over the Jews. Luke emphasizes that in chapter 2. The emperor of Rome now ruled over God's people, the children of Abraham. This was a long, long road. And so it's not surprising that when the New Testament starts, there weren't too many people in Israel who were waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise anymore. And then as as we think about all that, we think about the promise of Jesus' coming that we've been given. And it's kind of like that for us today too. For us It's the promise of Christ's return. 
The early church was very excited about it. They were expecting it at any time. In 2 Thessalonians, you can read about it. People were quitting their jobs, putting on hold their everyday lives. This is what the people in the early church were talking about with each other. Now, 20 centuries later, it's not as much the topic of discussion, is it? How much are we talking about Christ coming over coffee in the fellowship hall, in our small groups, at the dinner table, with our families when we discuss our faith? Well, not too much, I think. And so are we surprised that in the days of Joseph and Mary, little was spoken about the coming of the Son of God in the flesh to Bethlehem. We've only been waiting 2,000 years, but they've been waiting at least twice that long for God's promise to come true. Luke had all this in mind when he said, in those days. Some version of that phrase comes up 470 times in the Old Testament. 50 in Genesis alone, where there's a lot going on, a lot of history is piled up. But one thing didn't happen in those days, in that time, Bible says it all the time, but one thing never happened. The Messiah didn't come. Luke says in those days, maybe finally the big thing is happening. But no, this is a word from Caesar Augustus. This isn't a word from God. It's his decree of a census. But then we keep going, and in verse 6 we get the time came. And this is it. A road that was millennia long was leading to this. Joseph and Mary were in Bethlehem. The time came. Up until now, throughout the Bible, we read about the time coming. In those days, such and such happened. Until now, it happens. It never was about God's word becoming flesh, but now it is. The time for the baby to be born came. The promised seed of the woman came. The Son of God arrived. What was promised in the Old Testament was truly fulfilled. This was the goal and the point of all that was happening. This is where it was all driving. God came through. He acted. His promise became reality. And today, God's people are again on the road of the word because the second coming is promised. It's been that way for 2,000 years now. He's making us wait a long time for that promise to become reality. How long will we wait? Another 2,000 years? Maybe. Maybe. You know, some liberal scholars say that because the early church thought Jesus would return in their day, and he didn't, that maybe that second coming promise isn't true. After all, wouldn't he have come back by now? But then, when we see how long the wait was for his first coming, man, our 2,000-year wait is nothing. God's people have waited before, a whole lot longer than us, and God came through in his appointed time, and he will come through again. God's word about the second coming will come to pass. Jesus is coming again. 
Revelation 1.1, we read that Revelation is the book of things that will take place. And today, some of those terrible things that the writer of Revelation, John, wrote about are happening. But the end is not here yet. We don't have the new heavens and new earth that we read about in chapter 21. But God tells us in Revelation 22.6, these words are trustworthy and true. And it says, they will take place. And that's where God's people are headed now. That's the road we're on to the second coming. God's road is a long, long road. It's not something we're used to in our day of instant gratification. You do know not everyone's on this road, don't you? Not everyone's on God's road. There are other roads, and contrary to popular opinion, I don't believe they're all headed to the same place. And sometimes even people in the church veer off God's road to side streets because of impatience, unbelief, the allure of other paths. And Jesus himself said, there's a narrow road and there's a wide road. And most people are on the wide road and many are missing his road, the unpopular road. But I got to tell you this morning, God's road is the right road. It's the sure road. It's the road of salvation. It's the only road with a promise that you can bank on, with a promise that will come to pass. It's the road of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. It's the road of grace and blessing and forgiveness for mistakes made and sins committed. It's the road out of the darkness. It's the road of eternal life. And it's the road to no more tears and no more sadness and no more goodbyes. Are you traveling on that road? The road of God's coming as God's people have throughout the ages. How do you get on God's sure road? It's not through anything you could do. It's not by trying as hard as you can to stay on that road. It's not by being born of a parent or a grandparent who's already on that road. You get on that road through faith, by believing God's word. That's how it's always been. And friends, that's how you will truly celebrate Christmas. Celebrating Christmas is believing in God's word about Jesus, saying, yes, Lord, I believe. It's about a simple faith in God's word spoken and promised and that came to pass. And so, so God asks us whether we're on his road in a day of many walking the wide road. And he asks for faith in him this Christmas. He asks for belief in the word become flesh. A true Christmas celebration is to put our trust in God's sure word, which we know comes to pass because that first promise made in Genesis 3.15 became reality at Jesus' birth. That's what we're celebrating. And for us today, it's especially to be looking ahead 
living in faith ahead to that second coming. A promise of Jesus coming that we feel was made so long ago, and it was that promise of his return. But God's people waited before at least twice that long in faith. And his people continue to wait and believe today because he is coming. He will return. And through faith, we too can be walking that road of God's sure promises for us and for our children. This Christmas, may our hearts be full with belief in Jesus, the Word become flesh, and may we be walking the road of faith, the road of the Word of God. The road of faith, living in faith, listening to His Word, clinging to the promises, sure hope in Jesus' return. That's the bedrock of our joy this season and this day. And you know what? It's all a free gift. It's here for the taking, for all who would say, yes, Lord, I believe in your son. I believe in your promises. I want to walk the road of your coming. And that's how you'll really celebrate Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.